Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we come now to a discussion of uh, God's covenant with Noah. There are five passages that we want to look at in this connection. Those passages are Genesis 5, verse 29, Genesis 6, verses 18 to 21, Genesis 8, verses 20 to 22, Genesis 9, verses 1 to 7, and Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17. We cannot take them all together in this uh, part of the study, so we'll have to take at least one more session to deal with these passages. But we'll talk uh, now at least about Genesis 5, verse 29, and Genesis 6, verses 18 to 21. Genesis 5, verse 29 says, And he, that is Lamech, the father of Noah, called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And this uh, birth of Noah and naming of Noah falls at the end of the genealogy of Adam. As you may know, the book of Genesis is divided into parts by references to various genealogies. So after the introductory work of creation in chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3, we find the first major division of the book of Genesis in the genealogy of the heavens and the earth, chapter 2, verse 4. Then in chapter 5, verse 1, a new division, the genealogy of Noah, of Adam. And in Genesis 6, verse 9, a new section, the genealogy of Noah. So as we're studying this covenant of God with Noah, we're going to be looking at uh, partly at the genealogy of Adam and partly at the genealogy of Noah. He is the connecting link between these two genealogies. In the genealogy of Noah, which begins then in chapter 5, verse 1, uh, first of all traces the generations of the seed of the woman from Adam to Noah. So it's Adam, Seth, Enosh, and then you find in there Enoch, of course, and Methuselah, the longest-lived man prior to the flood, the longest-lived man in the history of the world, in fact, and that genealogy ends with Noah. At the beginning of chapter 6, we find the uh, description of the wickedness of the world, but a key part of that description of the wickedness of the world is that the line of the seed of the woman, the, the uh, people who were born in that line of the seed of the woman, were apostatizing from God, and were committing wickedness themselves. I know that there is some disagreement about the interpretation of that name, sons of God, that you find in verses 2 and 4, but the point, I believe, of those verses is that not only was the world in general very wicked before the flood, but that the seed of the woman itself was apostatizing from God and was getting involved with the wickedness of the world around it. And so we read, The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took, them, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. 
And again in verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. And that uh, section, that genealogy of Adam then, ends in verse 8 with one additional verse, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah remained faithful, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So now if we go back to uh, Genesis chapter 5, verse 29, we find at the end of that genealogy of Adam, Lamech having a son and calling his name Noah. Now when people in the Old Testament named their children, they named them under different influences. Sometimes they just gave them names that they liked, as we might do today. Sometimes they gave them names which were expressions of their faith. And so we find, for example, that Abraham and Sarah named their son Isaac, or laughter, because Sarah said, God has made me laugh by giving me a son in my old age. But sometimes also they named their children uh, by revelation from God himself. And thus, for example, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth named their son John because the angel had instructed them to do that. And even though their relatives wanted them to name him Zacharias, they refused. And, of course, Jesus himself was named Jesus because the angel told them that they must name him Jesus. His name shall be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's what we have happening here in Genesis 5, verse 29. Lamech is prophesying. He is speaking by the power of the Spirit, who has revealed them to us, and he's revealed this to him, and he's talking about the significance of Noah in the purposes of God. This one, he says, will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now, there's no direct mention of the idea of covenant here in this verse. The word does not occur uh, for the first time in the scriptures until chapter 6, when Noah and is instructed by God to build the ark, and God then says, I make my covenant with you, and you will go into the ark with your family and two of all the animals. Nevertheless, this passage is related to the covenant of God because of that name which Lamech gave to his son, the name Noah. He, that name Noah means rest. He called his name Rest, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work. And those words, then, of prophecy, which Lamech speaks in the rest of that verse, are, first of all, reminders of God's curse on the ground in Genesis chapter 3, and God's curse on Adam and his work. 
Notice what he says there. He will comfort us because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And again, before that, he will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. Adam was cursed by God with toil, working by the sweat of his brow in uh, to oppose the uh, encroachment of weeds into his uh, plantings. So this was a, a, a name given to Noah by Lamech, which related then to the idea that in some measure, the curse on the ground was going to be relieved by the uh, flood that was coming. Some, in fact, conjecture that there were very dramatic changes to the world uh, and to the atmosphere of the world at the time of the flood. You can uh, learn about some of this or hear some of the scientific um, explanation of this by listening to Creation Research Society people and other people of that sort. But we do know from uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 that there were indeed very dramatic changes. Peter says there that the world of Noah's day prior to the flood stood out of the water and in the water and then was overflowed with water. It seems then that water played a much more significant and dominant role in that world prior to the flood. And we read in connection with the flood itself that the windows of heaven were opened and the fountains of the great deep were broken up so that vast amounts of water um, came up and came down and flooded the whole world. So there were very dramatic changes. In fact, such dramatic changes that that uh, second world, that new world into which Noah came uh, after the flood, is indeed, in a certain sense, a new creation. By this uh, work that God did then in the flood, he at least relieved some of the curse that had come on the ground for Adam's sake. You find that also in Genesis chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So the Lord spoke of this relief of the curse. Now we know, of course, from our own experience and from other scriptures that this curse was not fully removed from the ground. Romans 8 verses 19 and following talk about the fact that this creation is still under the bondage of corruption. Romans 8, verses 19 and following, The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption 
into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. It's very clear that the creation has not been fully redeemed from the bondage of corruption into which Adam brought it. Nevertheless, there has been relief to some extent from that curse. Now this is um, why then Lamech names his son Noah. That name means rest. And it refers to the same idea that we find in the word Sabbath. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 9, verse 11 rather, Exodus 20, verse 11, where we have the fourth commandment, we read there, um, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. That word rested there in Exodus 20, verse 11, is a word that comes from the same root as the word Noah. And therefore, when Lamech named his son Noah, he was referring back to Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested, and that's the word actually Sabbath, rather than the a word that we have in the name of Noah, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. So Genesis 2 uh, links to Exodus 20 and the fourth commandment when it says God rested, and the name Noah links to that word rest that's used in the fourth commandment. And these passages then tie together under that idea of rest. Noah is going to restore rest. He's going to restore some of the rest that was lost in the fall. Now, it's very interesting that in Genesis 5, verse 29, Lamech does not go on to say about Noah after naming his son, this one will give us rest concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Instead, Lamech says, this one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And that word comfort there is not the same word as the word from which the name Noah comes. It's a similar word. We might say Nahum, the name of that prophet later in Israel's history for this word. The same one, Noah, will comfort us concerning our work. If you look at the New American Standard Bible on this verse, you'll see that it uses the word rest there. This one will give us rest concerning our work and the toil of our hands. And the New American Standard is, I think, following the uh, Septuagint translation of the Hebrew Old Testament there. But uh, the, um, the other translations all follow the word 
uh, that we find in the New King James. This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands. So there's a, a little bit of a, uh, what we would see perhaps as an inconsistency here. Lamech names his son Noah, but then does not talk about Noah giving rest. He talks instead about Noah giving comfort. And why that is, I am not sure. But nevertheless, we have here the idea of rest in Genesis 5, verse 29. And that idea of rest is an idea that is closely connected with God's covenant throughout the Old Testament. Adam had rest in the garden while he continued in obedience to God. He rested every seventh day from his work, just as God had rested from his work. God also promised Israel rest in the land of Canaan. Remember the the well-known words of Psalm 95. God swore in his wrath that the wilderness generation would not enter into his rest, and he gave that rest instead to the generation that followed. God also called his house the house of rest, or his resting place. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we have a linking of all these different passages uh, to the idea of rest. He begins with um, Israel in the wilderness, verse 3, For we who have believed do enter into that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So that takes us back to the creation rest. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Another reference to Psalm 95. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So here is implicit in another quote from Psalm 95, the promise of rest. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts so that you may enter into rest. That's at the time of David. Then he goes back in verse 8 to the entrance into the land of Canaan and the time of Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. And then he takes us all the way into the New Testament and the new creation. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now, that idea of rest is tied to the land of Canaan, as we've already noted, and it was the land of Canaan that God promised to Abraham and his seed in his covenant with Abraham. 
the inheritance of the land of rest was the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And when God made his resting place, his tabernacle and his temple among his people, then God was fulfilling another promise which he made to Abraham, and that is that he would be the God of Abraham and of his children, and that he would dwell among them. God was fulfilling that covenant promise made to Abraham then in establishing his temple and his tabernacle among them. This idea of rest is a covenantal idea. So Noah then was fulfilling in part the promise of rest that God had at least implicitly given to his people in the covenant with Adam. It's not mentioned there directly, but nevertheless, it's implicit in that. And Noah is also pointing us to the final fulfillment of the promise of rest in the heavenly Canaan, rest for which we, as God's people in the New Testament, are hoping. Noah's whole time, in fact, becomes in the New Testament scriptures a uh, type or a foreshadowing of the end of the world and of the recreation of all things in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the significance then, I think, of Genesis 5 verse 29, that God is saying that here he is going to begin to fulfill his promise of rest. And he's going to restore, begin to restore the rest of which Adam deprived us when he fell into sin. We come now to Genesis 6, verses 18 to 21. And those verses read as follows, But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, and of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten, and you shall gather it to yourself, and it shall be food for you and for them. Notice there that God here speaks of establishing his covenant with Noah. So here we have specific covenant making for the first time, actually, in the scriptures. God comes and he talks about his covenant. And he uses that language, which is common to all the language of God's covenant making in the Old Testament and in the New as well. I will establish my covenant with you. Now this covenant contains a promise. It's implicit in that, that Noah will be saved. Noah and his family will be saved by means of the ark. God is going to bring this flood. He's told Noah about that. He has told Noah to build the ark. Noah has finished that building of the ark. God says to him now, as the ark is finished, 
I establish my covenant with you. I promise to you and to your family and to the animals who are with you salvation from these floodwaters. Notice what God says immediately preceding this covenant in verse 17, Behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. And it's then that he goes on to say, but I will establish my covenant with you. Noah then had to build the ark. and He had to build the ark according to the instructions of God. He had to obey God in bringing his family, the animals, and provision for himself and those animals into the ark so that God's covenant with him would be fulfilled. At the end of that flood, then, Noah comes out of the ark into a new world. The old world, as Second Peter 3 tells us, perished by means of the waters of the flood. And Noah and his family emerge from the ark into a new world, a second creation of God. The first creation God created, cursed, and destroyed in the flood. The second creation is that world which emerged from the flood waters and into which Noah came. He became the heir, he and his family became the heirs of that world. Now notice, however, that this is not a complete remaking of that original creation. Noah and his family and animals from that original creation are preserved through the flood and uh, become the inhabitants of that new creation. So there's not a complete destruction of that first creation. And because there's not a complete destruction of that first creation, corruption enters that new creation after the flood almost immediately. That's the whole point of the story of Ham and Canaan, whom God cursed because of their sin against their father. Ham became then the seed of the serpent after the flood. And it was especially in Shem uh, that God preserved the line of the seed of the woman, though he promised also that Japheth would enter into the tents of Shem. So we have this second creation. We have new, we have inhabitants from the first creation entering that second creation, entering that new world. And that new world, that new world is a world which continues to exist today. But we must also note that with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, God has begun another creation, a, an altogether new creation this time, the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And we should not think of that new heavens and that new earth, that new creation beginning with the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. No, the scriptures talk about the people of God, God's uh, own elect, 
the believers in the New Testament as being new creatures. We have been recreated in Christ Jesus by regeneration and the power of the Spirit as citizens of the new heavens and the new earth. Our citizenship is not here any longer. Our spiritual citizenship is in heaven. And it's to that place that we look as our final home. So God, the the second creation and the third creation, the creation that God um, made at the time of Noah, and the third creation coexist throughout the New Testament period. God brings that uh, old creation to an end with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God makes a new heavens and a new earth, and then he takes out of the second creation all his own people and brings them uh, through the glorification of their bodies into that new heavens and new earth. But we should also note then that the seed of the serpent continues in all three of these creations. We have the line of Cain after uh, his murder of his brother Abel up to the time of the flood. And as we've already noted, Ham uh, represents that seed of the serpent after the flood. And then uh, when God makes his promise to Abraham, the nations become the representatives of the seed of the serpent. So that throughout the Old Testament, you have this contrast between the seed of Abraham, the Jews, and the nations. And with the coming of Christ, God grafts into the line of Abraham the Gentiles. And the contrast in the New Testament is no longer between Israel and the nations, but is between the new Israel, his church, and the world. So that that line of the seed of the serpent continues from Cain to the time of the flood, from Ham to the time of Abraham, from Abraham through all the nations of the world down to the time of Christ, into the New Testament period, known in the New Testament period as the world, and then is finally cut off and destroyed when our Lord Jesus Christ returns again on the clouds of glory. And this covenant which God makes with Noah touches all three of these creations. In that covenant which God made with Noah, God destroyed the first creation. He created the second creation, and that whole uh, creation of the second creation points us to the third creation as 2 Peter 3 teaches us. There we read, For this they willfully forget, that is, unbelievers and scoffers in the last day, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And remember that our Lord Jesus Christ himself used the wickedness preceding the flood 
to illustrate the wickedness preceding his coming again. As it was in the days of Noah, he said, so it will be also in the coming of the Son of Man. They will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. That is, the world will be uh, filled with wickedness again. So we have here, then, in God's covenant with Noah, already in this first verse, first few verses that we're looking at, certain covenantal themes which uh, continue throughout all of the history of God's covenants in the Old and New Testaments. One of those is the theme of rest. God gave rest to his people after the flood. The second is a victory of the seed of the woman and the redemption of the seed of the woman from sin and from the world. God brings destruction on the seed of the serpent. He destroys the seed of the serpent in the flood, but he uses the waters of the flood to redeem Noah and his family. And you have also the theme of a new world, a new creation. These are three major themes of God's covenant throughout covenants throughout Old and New Testaments. Rest, victory of the seed of the woman, and a new creation. And they are very much relevant for us today. God promises us rest. Jesus said to us in the, uh, during his earthly ministry, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the rest which we hope for. Rest from our sins, rest from our enemies, rest from our toil, and eternal fellowship with our God in Christ. He promises us victory over the seed of the serpent. The serpent will be destroyed as Revelation 12 teaches us. He promises us a new heavens and a new earth, uh, a greater and better creation than the second creation into which Noah and his family entered. So we are looking then in our own time at the fulfillment of God's promise to Adam in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and to his promise to Noah in Genesis chapter 5 verse 29 and Genesis chapter 6. God is fulfilling his covenant with Adam and with Noah for us today. Next time, then, we'll talk about the other passages in Genesis that describe for us this covenant with Noah. They are found in Genesis chapters 8 and 9. May God bless you with his word.